Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. So we're going to continue to talk about spiders and lies that we've believed. And we're going to continue to talk about that this morning, but also next week. And I want to encourage you to be here. You know what? Next Sunday is Halloween Sunday, but you know what? We're not celebrating Halloween. We're celebrating God's presence. And I want to encourage you to be here because Pastor Brent's going to be talking about Halloween. He's going to be talking about some of the doors that we open. You're not going to want to miss that moment. You're not going to want to miss next Sunday. You know, growing up, I had this tension that I grew up in. I was a pastor's kid growing up, and, and I realized that not a lot of you know that world or understand that world, so let me describe it to you. When you're a pastor's kid, you live in a glass house, okay? Here's why. Because God bless them, but every little church granny wants to tell you how to live your life. Like, when I was a kid, it didn't matter what I was doing. There was some granny there who would look at me and, do you want your father to hear this? Does your daddy know that you're doing this? And I'm like, yo, don't leave me alone. No, don't run in the sanctuary. You can't do that. It's God's house. Listen, in my daddy's house, I ran all the time. I'm just saying. No, don't jump down the stairs. Would your daddy be happy with that? And man, it built this, this fear in me. This idea that in church, even though I was the pastor's kid, I didn't fit in. Because everything that I did was wrong. And it wasn't just the adults, but it was the kids also. Because I was the pastor's kid, None of the kids wanted to play with me or have me around because then I would tell my dad was their idea and philosophy. So the adults looked at me and said, you're being bad, does your dad know? The kids looked at me and said, you're too good because you're your dad's kid and we can't hang around with you. It's a lonely life as a pastor's kid. But it didn't stop there for me. It also went to school. See, I didn't fit in there either. If y'all haven't noticed, I'm a little bit different. I'm a little bit nerdy. And I I have a little bit of athleticism, but I was never the guy that was picked first. I I was the guy who was different and thought different than anybody else. And so I got picked on for that. In high school, it became celebrated a little bit because I had a I had a high school teacher, a law, uh, I did legal studies. Why? Because I felt like it was a blow-off class, so I did it. Um, and so I did legal studies in high school my senior year, and, and the teacher would always look at me and say, hey, Mac, what, is, what do Christians think about this? But that didn't happen in elementary school. In elementary school, when I would try to speak what I felt like God wanted to say into a conversation, I was shut down. I was put down. I remember one of those moments, our, our church was doing a campaign. Anybody remember Sunday school? Okay. Our church was doing a campaign. It was called I Love Sunday School. And man, they did t-shirts and everything. And so I wore my I Love Sunday School shirt 
to school. Man, I got picked on so hard. I love Sunday school. What Sunday school? You love school? You're a dork. You're a nerd. All kinds of those names. And I felt like I didn't fit in. I felt like I didn't belong. I could never be smart enough. I was nerdy. I was tall. I was skinny. I was quiet. But it didn't stop there because I also had some daddy issues. When I was a, a kid, especially in middle school, high school, I can count on one hand the amount of games or choir concerts that my dad showed up to. I remember moments where I felt like I could never win my dad's approval no matter how good I got, no matter what I did. Even when I would have to try, try to have conversations about things that I knew that my dad liked, it just caused conflict. I was made to feel like I was stupid, like I wasn't good enough to even have that conversation. And I just, I just wanted to belong somewhere. So I tried to fit in anywhere. This began to express itself even as young as third grade. I remember third grade on the soccer field, and I wasn't the best soccer player, but I heard all the kids around me, and all the cool kids, man, they'd say all the four-letter words. And so I remember that moment when the switch flipped. I remember kicking the ball and it going out of bounds instead of going into the goal. And I remember the string of expletives that came out of my mouth, thinking, now I can fit in, now I'm cool. Cussing like a sailor. And here's the thing, I didn't just use one like they did, I, I found all of them. <laughs> My sentence probably made absolutely no sense because I, I thought of every cuss word that I had ever heard anybody say, and I said every form of them that I could possibly think of in a string, in a row, because I missed that goal. I mean, people were looking at me like, whoa, what happened to you? I mean, this was the kid that was supposed to be the pastor's kid. The good kid. Now all of a sudden he's out here cussing. You know, I wanted to wear popular clothes. But man, we were not wealthy. So I didn't get all the popular clothes. I got corduroys. Bro, if you don't know about corduroys, let me tell you about corduroys. Corduroys, when you walk... They make this sound when your thighs rub together. Whoop, 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 whoop. As you're walking down the hall, whoop, whoop, whoop. There were about four of us that wore corduroys. We walked down the hall together. It sounded like a, like a little band. Whoop, all in harmony. Whoop, whoop. But man, I got made fun of for my clothes. Wearing those dorky clothes, those goofy corduroys. I would look at the cool kids wearing their designer jeans. In middle school, wearing their IOU jackets, some of y'all remember. Man, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to, to wear the cool stuff. And so when the, when the fad came around, 
that you would pinch your pant legs together and roll them up? Bro, I was in like Flynn. Because that would make me cool for sure. That would help me fit it. No, that just gave me abrasions on my ankle. Cut the circulation off on my toes. It's horrible. But at church, the whole time, I became the goody two-shoes, the good boy. I became that person that people wanted me to be while at school trying to be the person that they wanted me to be. And you know what? It all got so, so sticky. And for me, I know we've talked about different aspects of spiders, but for me, the worst aspect of finding a spider is finding the cobweb. Because, man, let me tell you, there is nothing worse than in the dark walking into a room and running face first into a cobweb. You never get it all off. It's so sticky. And you're like, trying to pull it all off of you. But you know what? For me, fitting in or trying to fit in was like face planting in a room full of cobwebs. All it did was create this sticky mess that wrapped me up. It wrapped me up into the spider web. I wonder this morning if you find yourself wrapped up in a web. I wonder this morning if you've been trying to fit in, trying to find your place by looking to those around you who are accepted and trying to find their acceptance. Maybe for you this surfaces in the clothes that you wear. Maybe for you this surfaces in the posts that you put up. Or maybe the ones that you take down. Maybe it's the language you use while you're out with other people in the world. Maybe even some of the habits you've adopted just because someone else put the bar right there that said if you want to fit in, you should only do that. Why will you only wear the Jordans? Why will you only carry Gucci? Ladies, why did you arch your back just so in that Insta picture? Guys, why do you wear that black shirt when it's 100 degrees out? I'm going to tell you why, because it makes this go away. Y'all know it's true. Why did you pull that post down last week when it only got 10 likes? See, the real source of the issue is that we were created with a need to belong. We were created with this. Brene Brown says this. She says, fitting in is just a hollow substitute for belonging. It will actually erode true belonging. And here's the trick of it. The trick of it is, oftentimes, we don't hunt true belonging. We hunt fitting in. And when we hunt fitting in, all it does is creates this massive, sticky spider web that surrounds us. It traps us, it hunts us, it keeps us locked in to this person that we really aren't. It hits us. I want to ask you to go on a little bit of a journey with me as I reveal to you some of the spider webs that have been sitting in my life and the spider that was at the source of it. Because I had to learn this idea that living life looking for approval is destructive. 
If I will live my life looking for the approval of others, it will destroy me. It began down that road. Now here's the interesting thing. Society innately recognizes this idea. As a society, we've come to this place where we recognize that you cannot live looking for man's approval. This is why we hear phrases like, I'm going to live my own life. YOLO. You, only, you, don't, you don't get to live my life. You don't get to make my choices. You don't get to judge me for me being me. You ever heard those? You ever said those? Or maybe I'm living my truth. I'm following my feelings, and you can't deny my feelings. Lecrae, the Christian rapper, said it like this, if you live for people's acceptance, then you will die from their rejection. If you live for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. But this is not just a modern problem. This was also dealt with a long time ago. See, in history, around the year 50 to 60 A.D., there was a group of people who, they decided to follow Jesus. And there was another group of people that said, okay, but in order for you to be called good, you've got to do these things. In order for us to recognize that you're a part, for us to say that you belong, you've got to do these things. In order for you to fit in, you've got to do these things. And they made a list of things that you had to do. Now that list was old. It had come from a religion called Judaism. And they were rules from Judaism. But it wasn't rules that Jesus had given in Christianity. And so Paul, who was an apostle back then, wrote to these folks in Philippians chapter 3, and he addresses this idea. And he says this, he says, look out for those dogs. Now this is exactly who he's talking to. He's talking about the people who are trying to force everybody else to fit in. He says, look out for those dogs. Look out for those evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now that mutilate the flesh was because one of the things they were acquiring was adult circumcision for those who were becoming Christians because that was required in Judaism. And Paul's saying, look out for those people. Look out for those people who are trying to put you in a box and make you fit in. But one of the things that I want to say this morning is that we need to look out for what's inside of us that gives those people those power. What is it inside of me that gives those dogs, those evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh, that power to be able to say something that require of me? Well, it's my need to belong. It's my need to fit in. Here's the thing, living for others will give you this warped sense of identity. This warped sense of self. And we, we see this in, in Scripture, in the way that people were trying to wrestle with this idea that, well, we can, we can do this and follow these rules and then we can, be, we can fit in, we can become part of them. But it was warped. See, here's the thing we have to understand. Just because you're accepted by a group doesn't mean that's where you belong. Just because somebody accepts you doesn't mean that's where you belong. See, you have a place that you belong. 
And that's not determined by those who accept you. That's not determined by those who say you fit in. You have a place you belong. But when you try to take on that identity, all of a sudden, you begin creating an identity around the people you fit in with now. But is that who you really are? Is that who you're supposed to be? See, I wasn't the IOU-wearing guy. That wasn't me. I am not the guy who wears skinny jeans. You won't find me in them. It's a hard no, Ghost Rider. I tried it in middle school, rolling up the, the pant legs. Never again. I am not going to be the guy, and if you pay attention to any of my social media, which you probably don't because I don't post very often on purpose, on purpose because I don't trust my tongue or my fingers sometimes. If you follow me, you'll know that I am not the quickest to post. I am not the one who has a lot of hot takes. That's just not me. It's just not me. See, I fit in on the surface back then when I started cussing like a sailor and when I rolled up my pant legs. But was that really who I was? Was that really who I was supposed to be? See, by the time I got to college, I realized I couldn't be the cool guy. I was still Poe. I still could not afford anything designer. And so to fit in with others the, the way that I wanted to fit in, because I saw how other people fit in and I was jealous of them, the way that I decided, which is really warped, I understand, don't look down on me, the way I decided to fit in was to tear all of them down and make them look worse so I could look better. I took what God had gifted me. See, God, God has given me a gift to see brokenness and weakness in other people. And God gave me that gift so I could express compassion and love to others. And I took that gift and I warped it and began to take and use the weaknesses of others as push points to be able to decrease their visibility so I could be seen more and fit in better. Because that's the next step in the progression. See, hunting for approval causes, approval causes us to treat everyone around like they're the competition. Why? Well, because man's approval is finite. There's a limit to it. There's a limit to how much Pastor Brent can hang out with me. We all know he's wonderful, but he's limited by time and space. And he's only one guy. There's a limit. And so if I wanted to win that, I would tear everybody else around so that I could win that approval. But this is the next step in the progression. Here's the thing we don't understand is that fitting in doesn't solve the need to belong. And someone else will always seem to have the acceptance that we want. And it creates this environment where it becomes dog-eat-dog -dog world. It becomes this dog-eat-dog -dog world. But let me tell you, in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, everybody's on the menu. Everybody gets eaten. And it's only the quickest 
and the harshest that can stay on top for a little while. And I, I don't want to live in a dog-eat-dog world because it's very lonely there. And see, I found myself in college very, very lonely, very broken. I didn't belong. I didn't fit in. And I looked at those around me that had what I wanted, or it appeared that they had what I wanted, which they really didn't. And I would tear them down just so that I could have what I thought I wanted. And it really didn't satisfy anything within me. Why? Because approval or fitting in based on what you do is fickle. It won't last. In our world, you can go from a reject to a prince back to a reject in a heartbeat. You can go from a nobody and no follows to a million follows to canceled in two hours. It's fickle. Man's approval is fickle. It can be lost by anyone. Why? Because any respect or honor that's won by what you do will be lost by what you do or don't do. If you're depending on a culture to judge you by your actions and prove you worthy, they will ultimately require something of you that you are not willing to give. And you will either not give it, or you will do the opposite and they will cancel you. Because man's approval is fickle. It's fickle. In our society, this has led to depression, suicide, for those who cannot handle the highs and the lows of this type of world. And so to beat this, we end up trying to live our life through this highlight reel called social media. Where all we put up is the best stuff. Oh man, we're going to show the life of the party moment, but we're not going to show later on when we're throwing up in the toilet. We're going to show the brand new Escalade, but we're not going to show how that forces us in two months not to be able to pay our light bill because we're trying to pay that Escalade off. We're going to show all these things that we think will get us the approval of others around us. But we hide our, our vulnerability. We deny it to protect our image. We don't realize is that belonging doesn't work that way. See, you can't earn approval and belonging anyway. True belonging, you can't earn it. Why? I, I was sitting down here and realized this. Because true belonging comes with love, and you can't earn love. True belonging is the essence, and love is the essence of belonging. You can't earn that. You can't earn that. There's always someone who's done more than you. And, and if someone, something you do causes your acceptance, someone can always do it better. And Paul proves this as he continues to talk to the Philippians. A couple of verses later in, in verse 4, he says this, Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also. I, I got good reasons for bragging about what I've done. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, he says. I got more. I got more. I, I've done more. 
He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now understand, that was when somebody was supposed to be circumcised, was on the eighth day. That, that meant that they were a true Jew, okay? They were born a Jew. They were, uh, uh, hey, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the 12 tribes. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, listen, he says, I was a Pharisee. I was the one of the ones who interpreted the law, who told you how to follow the law. As the zeal, I persecuted the church. I put people in jail to follow God. If you think that you're good, I'm better, he's saying. I've done more. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless, never sinned. But then he says this line. But whatever I gain, I counted as loss. Hmm. Why? Because comparison never works out. Comparison never works out. It's fleeting. He says this idea, if, you, if you've done stuff to earn approval, I've done more. And listen, I struggled with this idea as a kid, as an adult. I tried to do more. I tried to be perfect, watching all these people accepted by groups while I felt hidden, unable to be seen. These other people would get opportunities to shine, and I wouldn't. I felt like no one knew my name. I felt like no one would recognize me. This even went with me into adulthood and ministry while other people got chances to preach. Other people got jobs that I looked for or wanted. Not me. And it was a battle. It was a struggle. And I realized this, that seeking people's approval caused me to wear a mask. It caused me to wear a mask. Now, some of us, it causes us to wear a mask that creates an extreme version of ourselves to stand out. That mask may, may exhibit itself in wearing some crazy, crazy stuff, crazy clothes, driving the best car. It may exhibit itself in having to post it first. It may exhibit itself in having to have that hot take, that one-liner that will wreck people. For Paul... He even demonstrated this. He said, as to the law, bro, I was the best. I was a Pharisee, an extreme version of himself. As to zeal, I put people in jail, an extreme version of himself. This desire to belong that forces us to put a mask on. Well, maybe that's not your mask, though, because it wasn't mine. Maybe your mask is to hide. Maybe your mask is to get discouraged and depressed because you realize that you can't win. You look at the end game and you say, you know what, I can't win this game because there's no way I can keep up with everything and everyone around me. And so I'm just going to hide. We sit back, we pull a hoodie up over our head because we're afraid of being rejected, and we just hide. Become scared to put our th ourselves out there. Or maybe your mask is a little bit like one of my other masks, we just try to do the good thing. See, that's what I did. I put those two masks together, that we try to do the good thing and that we hide. I said, okay, 
In church, I'm going to be the goody two-shoes. I was on the worship team. I led ministries. I led outreaches and witnessing events. I ministered to my friends. I prayed over them. But then the other part of me was all of my weaknesses hid in this little itty-bitty corner wrapped in a spider web. All of my failures, all those things that made me feel like I couldn't do it, they all sit in hiding, waiting to come out and catch me in a dark night. And here's the thing. I hid my brokenness because I really hadn't dealt with the lie that had been birthed in my heart. See, we've talked about the spider webs of trying to fit in, but we've not talked about what the, what the spider really is yet this morning because here's the spider that really had bit me, the spider that had taken up residency in my heart. The spider was that I'm not good enough for God to love. I'm not good enough for God to accept. I'm not good enough to belong to Him. And man, when you look at Scripture and look at the expectation of being holy, man, I, I felt that. I felt all the weight, judgment, and condemnation of the Old Testament sitting on my shoulders. I'm not good enough for God. I'm not good enough for Jesus. And let me tell you, if you're struggling with fitting in, if this is the spider web that you're finding, the root of that, the spider behind that, is your view of God and who He is. It's your view of your relationship with Him or your ability to have one. And so I had this moment some of you have heard this moment before, the story of this moment, but I had this moment in Southeastern University cafeteria after a semester full of just depression. This moment where I looked across at a young man who was just a student at Southeastern as well, but he was teaching a class on worship. And he looked at me and he asked me a question. He said, Ken, when did Jesus die for your sins? And I said, 2,000 years ago. I mean, I knew all the right answers. I grew up as a pastor's kid. Come on, y'all. He said, okay, well, what sins did Jesus die for 2,000 years ago? And I still didn't get it yet. I said, all the sins of the world. He said, so all the sins that had been committed up till that time. And at that point, alarm bells started going off because I felt like it's a trap. <laughs> and I thought for a second, I said, no. No, he, he died for all the sins of the world. So even after that, he goes, and this is the, the guy asked me that. He said, so he died for all the sins all the way up until today that you've committed. And that's when all of a sudden, I'm sorry, because this is a moment for me. The grace of God sat on me. And a realization sparked. And that spider died. Because in that moment, I realized, no, Jesus died for me knowing and understanding the sin I would commit tomorrow. He knew it. 
He wasn't intimidated by it. He wasn't scared of it. It didn't push me away. He died knowing it. And I realized that none of the things that I could do would cause God to like me. Because I can't cause God to do something he's already done. God already loved me. I couldn't make that happen. There was nothing I could do to earn that. There was nothing I could do to fix that. He already loved me. He already accepted me. He already, he already approved of me because he loved me, not because I earned it. See, here's the thing I want you to understand this morning is that God gives his approval through Jesus. He gives his approval through Jesus. Paul doesn't stop there where he says, whatever I gain, I count as loss. He continues on. He says, whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, of knowing him. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Amen. See, understand this. God sent Jesus because you belong. See, I had this all mixed up. I had this thought in my head that God sent Jesus so that I could belong, but I had to make sure that I earned it to make sure that I could belong. God sent Jesus because you belong. You belong. You belong to him. Now, accepting Christ through knowing him, and this is what Paul's talking about, through knowing him, is us accepting God's love and that belonging. See, you have a choice. You can either accept your place of belonging in God's presence, in God's kingdom, or you can absolutely reject that. You have a choice. We have a choice. And understand this, that God's approval of me doesn't mean the same as his approval of what I do. God loves me in spite of what I do, but he still calls me to a higher standard. But you belong to him. And you belong in his presence. This is the place where you ought to be is in his presence. And this is what Paul's talking about. See, knowing Jesus gives us access to God's presence. Access to God's presence is the reward for belonging. See, anytime you belong to something, there's a reward. You belong to Sam's Club, you get to get in and go buy their stuff, even though there's a ton of it, all the, all the food go, half the food goes bad because you can't use it all in time. When you belong to a car club, you get rewards. When you belong to the, to the kingdom of God, the reward is to be in his presence. And let me tell you, his presence changes everything. Everything. Imagine, just a moment, 
a fraction of a second in the presence of the God who created the universe, the one who built it all, the one who built the Grand Canyon, the one who designed the Alps, the one who created Yellowstone National Park. Think of the most beautiful, gorgeous place and thing that you can think of. And he's the one who designed it. He's the one who created it. He's the one who can tear it all down. He's the one who created you. Imagine a fraction of a second in his presence, what that could do for you. And you get to spend time in his presence, not a fraction of a second. See, this is the reward. And belonging to God ends up creating this new identity for you and I. See, Paul, in another passage, talks about it being like this. He says, you are now adopted sons and daughters. You are not who you once were. You now have a new identity. See, you belong so much, God has chosen and adopted you. He has taken you in to call you his own, his own son, his own daughter. He has given you a new last name, a new identity. Out of this identity, out of this adoption comes a heritage. And you know what? The old things that used to define me, those four-letter words, the IOU jacket, all that stuff that I thought defined me, it's all gone. It passes away. And now something new defines me. Now belonging to Christ defines me. And I don't have to sit in the spider web anymore. It gets broken. Would you stand with me? So I want to I tell you something that's very personal because some of you will say, you know what, Pastor Ken, you've got this thing all figured out. You're a pastor. You've, you've got it all planned out, all figured out. You, you're, you're good. That doesn't work for me. It doesn't fit me. You stand up there on that stage and you look, you look like you've got it all together. Well, let me tell you, I don't have it all together. I debated whether or not I was going to say this because it, it, it's really personal. People close to me know, but not everybody. About a year and a half ago, I started struggling with something. I, would, I used to run. I ran three days a week, three miles a day. And all of a sudden, I, I began having these episodes. It's the only way I know how to describe it, where my vision would begin to narrow. Everything would start going dark. My chest would start hurting. And I didn't know what was going on. I went to the doctor. The doctor has no idea. He sends me to a heart doctor. He says, nothing wrong with your heart. The only thing they can figure out is this idea that they call dysautonomia. What they say about dysautonomia is basically in, in times of physical or emotional or mental stress, it will cause your body not to be able to control basic functions like your ability to balance yourself, like your blood pressure, your heartbeat. It's really scary because they say there's no cure for it. 
but inherently it's not dangerous unless you fall down and hit your head either. Two weeks ago, or actually two months ago, while I was preaching in South Shore, I had an episode as well. Literally had to grab onto the table to hold myself up as I'm trying to finish a message. Two weeks ago, on a Monday, or Tuesday, I'm sorry, Tuesday, I go and walk around my neighborhood just to walk, and I have another episode. It was a really bad one. Mentally, mind space, it put me out of it for two days. And this last week, on Monday, I had another episode. So all the questions swirl around me. And I had to battle that this week because let me tell you, I could have rebirthed that spider this week because the thought that was going through my head is do I need to tone myself down? What if I can't be the, the fun, energetic, screaming, yelling, hollering pastor or preacher that they're used to? Will that be good enough? Do you hear me? I don't have it all together. But here's what I knew in that moment, because it was seconds after that that God reminded me, hey, you belong to me. You belong with me. And this is what he said. This is what he's spoken to me over this week. Whatever you do or don't do won't define you because you belong with me. See, I don't know where you are, where you sit this morning. I want to tell you that I'm up here not because I'm perfect, but I'm up here because God said to come up and share this today. I'm up here not because I have it all together, but I'm up here to tell you a story about me and about the spider that I had to kill. Because God wants some of us in this room to, to kill that spider that you've been fighting and dealing with. That forces you to try to fit in and do all these other things, but you haven't really found that place of belonging to him yet. I'm going to tell you, belonging to him gives me peace, security. I know I'm okay because I belong to him. And even if I have an episode up here, and you'll notice I have a stool back here just in case, even if I do, it's okay because I belong to him. I belong to him. This morning, maybe you don't yet. The door's open. Maybe, maybe it's just because you haven't accepted that belonging to him yet which is found through Jesus. And I want to give you a chance this morning. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Say, Pastor Ken, that's me. I haven't belonged to him. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. But this morning, I want to. I've tried to fit in. I've tried to make my own way in this world, but it's not worked, and I need to fit in. I need to belong to God. I need to fill that space in my life and in my heart Right where you are, would you just lift your hand up and wave it at me? We just want to pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. Church, would you pray with me? Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. 
I give you my heart and that hole where I need to belong. I've tried to fill it with fitting in, but today I let you fill it and I belong to you. I choose you, Jesus, over everything else today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite our prayer team and our communion team up. As, as they're coming, you may ask, well, Pastor Ken, how is, how is the story navigating for you? How do you? How do you deal with this? Because I know that some of us, we may, not, we may have killed the spider, but we're still dealing with the spider web. This is how I tear down the spider webs. I had a pastor once who after preaching, he asked me how it went. And I told him how many amens were, there were, and I told him how many people came up to the altar. Because I thought that by receiving approval from people that that's how the sermon went. And this is what he told me. He said, Pastor Ken, at the end of every day, I lay my head on my pillow. And I ask Jesus, are you pleased with me? And I listen for his answer. I tell you, the way I destroy these spider webs is by asking Jesus, are you pleased with me? Because when you've found a place where you belong, it changes everything. It changes everything. See, I don't follow God's way to fit in. I follow his ways because he loved me. He accepted me when I didn't belong anywhere. This is why I ask him what to do. In just a moment, we're going to sing another song. I'm going to give you opportunity to maybe deal with some of these spider webs, some of these spiders, or maybe you need prayer for any other thing. We want to invite you to come up and pray with one of these folks right up front. Maybe you'd like to receive communion. You can do that on my right or my left underneath the screens. But come on, church. Could we just invite God's presence in here? Could we invite him in to deal with these spiders, these spider webs, and to just find ourselves in a place where we belong? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myarisechurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.